Welcome to the Essay for FA's Retirement Advisor podcast, a series that addresses issues of importance to financial advisors when dealing with the preeminent issue on their clients' minds, namely their desire for financial independence. I'm your host, Gil Weinrich of Seeking Alpha, and this morning I wanted to try something new, which is to review ideas worthy of your consideration. One lamentable aspect of ordinary life is that people don't generally devote time to thinking ideas through. We expose ourselves to ideas by reading and listening. It stimulates the frontal lobes of our brains. We move on and generally fail to transfer the idea from our short-term to long-term memory. This bothers me enough that when I come across important information, I review it several times until it sinks in. I have found over many years of doing this that it works. And so, in light of this desire to firm up our investment in the ideas discussed in this podcast series, I've decided to experimentally review some of what we have discussed this week. On Monday, we spoke with financial advisor Eric Nelson of Servo Wealth Management in Oklahoma City. Eric's key insight as an advisor in regular communication with those seeking to or already in retirement was that people prefer a conservative approach to investing because they assume their risk is losing their wealth. He argues that it's the opposite, that they must embrace volatility and invest more aggressively because their risk is not achieving the growth they'll need to fund decades in retirement. Here's a snippet from that interview. What is the primary risk that investors are defending against in preparing for retirement? Well, I think the irony in the answer to this question is it's not what you often hear from investors when they talk to you about their long-term goals. They'll share with you that they're worried about the next bear market, the next stock market decline, what's going to happen to their portfolio over the next 6 to 12 months, and they don't want to lose money. They don't want to see their portfolios go backwards. They're worried about loss of principal. But when you talk to retirees who have been at this for 15, 20, 30 years, what you realize is it's not principal risk that's a big issue for them. It's the purchasing power of their portfolio. They spend a lot more in years 20 and 25 and 30 of retirement than they do in year one and two. So it's that purchasing power that they really have to protect against. You talk to a lot of people and they just aren't able to think a decade or two out. So they make decisions that are counter to what they're going to be trying to accomplish for the rest of their lives. On Tuesday, we considered Robert Martorana's methodology for selecting his reading material. As an advisor who doesn't find it fruitful to analyze stocks, he prioritizes reading that helps him with broader asset allocation decisions using funds. I chimed in with some of my own thoughts, including a case for including non-financial material on one's reading menu. Here's a snippet from that podcast. In short, I am suggesting that market insight is apt to reach us indirectly, and one is at least as likely to acquire it through intellectual analysis refined by years of reading John Milton's poetry as from an undiluted diet of financial commentary. The reason is simple. Anything that promotes the sharpening of your mind in one area is apt to make your mind a useful tool in another, such as investing. On Wednesday, we took a look at Vanguard's comprehensive assessment of its own retirement plan investors, some 5 million people with assets totaling $1.4 billion, an enormous chunk of the $7.5 billion retirement plan market. My biggest takeaway was that these 5 million Americans are a pretty good sampling of retirement reality, albeit skewed above average, and yet the cohort aged 65 and older 
managed to save just $58,000. Citing Seeking Alpha contributor Robert Salis, I suggested that this data is indicative of a fragile middle class. Here's a snippet. People are trying to maintain a standard of living that seemed normal to them growing up, but which is unavailable currently, given their incomes and expenses. For that reason, advisors should discuss with clients how they'd like to distribute their earnings over their lifetimes. Will Social Security plus $58,000 and hopefully a paid-off house work for them? If not, it'd be worthwhile to make a plan that balances out their pre- and post-retirement standard of living. Yesterday, we discussed whether real estate investment trusts, or REITs, function in an asset allocation as physical real estate does. My review of some of the scholarly literature indicated that the answer is no, that they're more stock-like than land-like. Here's a snippet. One can also see that REITs act very much like stocks in their risk, volatility, and perhaps of greatest relevance in their drawdown characteristics. REITs provided no safe harbor during the global financial crisis. When stocks fell 57% between October 2007 and March of 2009, REITs fell 70%. In contrast, actual tangible real estate, whose problems precipitated the global financial crisis, fell just 25% over a period of 27 months between 2007 and 2009, as measured by the Case-Shiller Index. If any of those ideas were worth considering, then they're certainly worth reviewing. To wedge them a bit deeper into our active awareness, let me know what you think of this review feature. Thanks for listening. If you found this podcast useful, please leave a review on Apple or Google Podcasts so that others can discover this series. Meanwhile, you can contact me at gill at seekingalpha.com if you have feedback or requests, and make sure to subscribe wherever you get podcasts.